0: <laughs> by Bogut. Good recovery by Andrew Bogut. Let's get rogue. Welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is the basketball series. A great week of playoff action. A few teams obviously going through to the conference finals. Looking forward to that, bro. What do you have for us?
1: Ah, uh, Bogues, another <laughs> shit show day of the NBA. Fucking jamaran huh? Fucking great way we'll to get to great that. Way to open. Up. Let's not
0: blow our load early. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I mean, for the first
1: time in my life, horrendous. I'm not blowing my load early. I'm just telling you that uh, it's a great thing to wake up to in the morning. Let me tell you.
0: <sighs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get into that. That's, yeah, mind boggling, especially in the middle of what has been a pretty good playoffs yeah. um, for for a lot of people that have followed it. Um, but maybe a few small little tweaks that need to be made, which we'll discuss later. But we'll get into, you know, we'll get into the playoffs that have been. Uh we'll chat the series that have been, then we'll chat the teams that have exited and what where to for them, and then we'll do a you know quick preview of of the next round um following that. But uh let's start with the Lakers Warriors. I think it was uh, a, a beatdown, really, in my opinion. Um the Warriors never really Never really looked in the Warriors' flow for most of that series. Um, you know, they had, a, they had a game or two where they they got out to double digits and won, but it just it was just clunky. Um, it really was, and it just it just didn't fit. I uh, will tell you what, when Draymond Green comes out the way he did in Game Five, they they that's what that's what they needed from him. You know, uh, I think most of those games he just there were times he just wasn't aggressive offensively, and what he did in Game Five showed that. You know when he comes out with that kind of mentality of, of attacking and taking those two, three footers, getting on the rim, getting the free throw line, they're tough to stop. But then, you know, it, it, you know, the Lakers made their adjustments in game six and, and then we didn't have have much of that again. Um, but to me, I gotta give credit to the Lakers as well. That it seems like they're getting better during the playoffs, bro. Like they're getting <laughs> they're getting noticeably better in different things, and it's a testament to they're coaching staff, and it's a testament to they've got a lot of veteran heads on that team that know how to play the game. But I've noticed that they generally, genuinely feel like they're they're surging in the right direction. So dangerous team. I mean, we didn't think they'd be here. I, I didn't. I don't think you didn't. Most people didn't think they'd go this far. Their defense has been very, very good. A lot of people talk about the free throw disparity. Look, bad mix of a series. The Warriors historically are not a high free throw shooting team. They shoot a lot of threes. And the Lakers attack the paint a lot and get a friendly whistle. So you put those two together. Yeah, the disparity was huge in this series again, um, just like it was for the regular season. Did that change the series? Maybe a little bit. But I I think at the end of the day, the Warriors shot themselves in the foot and shot themselves out of a lot of games. But um, what were your thoughts on this one? Did you you think it would go this way? Did you think it would go longer? And what would you have changed if you were the Warriors?
1: You know, Bogues, it it just goes along what happened the whole season for them. Um, for Golden State. They just never really put anything together. Now, when they did put it together, it was pretty cool to watch. I never really messed with their shot selection. I think early on in the whole Dynasty deal, you know, you're like, oh, wow, they take all these messed up shots. But let's be honest. I mean, they lived by that, you know, that creed of just take, they had the shot makers and players that could, you know, make shots at a really, really high clip. Um, I just think that, Bad, you know, the, the, the tough shots that they took. First of all, like you said, credit to the Lakers. I think LeBron James has really made a great transformation in this playoffs, getting off the ball, getting in the post a lot more, letting other people handle the ball. So now he could just sort of, he doesn't have to have all the energy of being Bugs Bunny and playing every position, first base, second base, third base, home plate. He could just, you know, he could post up, he could attack on um, pick and roll when he needed to, but he bullied them inside. Used his passing playmaking. Reeves was great, you know. Davis was great. They got a lot of you know great you know great play by Austin Reeves. Russell came up, you know, different parts of the series. He was decent. Lonnie Walker came up big, you know, once or twice during the series. So I think they played really well. They guarded well, you know. They really. They really put the clamps on on Golden State. With Golden State, in my opinion, Bogues, look, their shot selection is what it is. They've they've made a a dynasty out of those threes and tough shots uh, out of the offense that they run. I agree with you. When Draymond was in attack mode, he was tough to stop. I think what happened was, including him in game four and five, even in a win, the five turnovers in game four and game five were tough. You know, like the turnovers as a team – Just playing around with the ball when they needed needed baskets, and just sort of plays didn't go their way. They, they, I think, they really need to center in on making easier plays as far as the passing. Just sometimes, I think that they cost them a lot with just throwing the ball anywhere and and turning the ball over at a high clip. Jordan Poole really didn't have much of a series. You know, they couldn't really rely on him. He was unplayable at at points of the of the series. But um, I, I think their turnovers and sort of just. I don't want to say non-caring, but just where they threw the ball, it just was anywhere, and it really cost them. And the Lakers just look like as this snowball effect happens where I didn't think they were even going to make the play in forget about the conference final, as they get deeper in this, I think they just got comfortable playing their style. They made that lineup change. It took Vanderbilt out um, for a game or two, I think. I think at least a game, I think they put Schroeder in his place. And that was big. I love Vanderbilt, but offensively they just were hurting a lot with them in the lineup. And I think getting an extra ball handler in Schroeder and a playmaker really helped them. And um, I think for Golden State they just, yeah, just you know sometimes. Again, I don't want to question great players sometimes because they just they they just know how to make plays. Like sometimes they didn't take advantage of switching defenses. You know. Cl- um, you know, Steph took a couple of tough shots late in game where like he got he got favorable matchups, but instead of movement or trying to attack, they don't settle in for shots. But again, you know, look, he does what he does. I mean, he's the best shooter in NBA history. He he earns the right to take whatever shot he feels as though his team needs. But I just think the turnovers, in my opinion, Bogues. And then, you know, I don't want to say a guy's don't show up. You know, especially great players and they have really bad games, especially in playoffs. I'll just say they didn't produce. And I think that, you know, Clay didn't produce in that last game. They really needed him. You know, uh, Steph was just okay. But I think that, you know, Clay's rough shooting night, especially in that last game, really, really hurt them.
0: Well, he was 34% for the series.
1: Yeah. What else did you see, folks?
0: Well, looking at the stats now, get this. So the Warriors. It was 112 to 109 for the series in favor of the Lakers. Warriors won the rebound battle by four a game. They won the assist battle by four a game. Steals seven to five. Um, blocks five to three and a half. So relatively even there. Turnovers, as you mentioned, uh, they had three point. What is that? Three point five more a game. Field goal percentage 44 to 47. Three point percentage 35 each, and pre throw percentage 75, 78. So turnovers were the big one. But, yeah, the free throw disparity, Just I just looked it up as we will chatting. This was the 10th all-time biggest free throw disparity in a playoff series in NBA history, bro. I didn't know that. Mm. Um, so it, it wasn't a bit of an issue. But like I said, it's, it's, it's the opposite styles of play. Yeah. But the Lakers were good for 13.3 more free throws a game, which led to 80 more free throws over the course of the series. So that made a huge difference. When you look at those stats I just read out previously – Everything was pretty even, man, mm-hmm. and I think those free throws—thirteen extra a game when the season, the season score, sorry, the series score was one twelve to one hundred nine when you add up all the games together. Those free throws were very, very big, so it did make a difference. But the Lakers did a good job of attacking. Yes. Um, look, there were there was some questionable calls along the way, which we'll get into a little bit later. But um, yeah, I think uh, look, I think the Warriors, it just the Warriors, I think they really missed Andre, even at his age. I really do think they missed Andre because he's a cooler head. Um, he has a great feel for the game offensively. Hey, you know, let's go away, maybe from Clay a little bit. Let's go down this way. He's not, he's not feeling it tonight. Hey, let's get it down here. Let's maybe get a post touch and just try to get something cheap. And and he's a, a smart defender, um, which could have just been another big body. I felt like once Wiggins busted his rib, even before that, LeBron was getting whatever he wanted in the paint for that. That in that last game when they went on their big when they went on that big run in Game Six, LeBron was just laying the ball up, laying the ball up, laying the ball up. And the dangers of the Warriors' small ball is you don't really have a rim protector, so that hurt them. But that, like you said, you you live and die by that style of play, and and arguably the net is way positive with this style of play, the negative. We're talking about a loss for the Warriors, but, you know, four championships in a decade. I mean, most people 10 years ago would have said one championship in a decade for the Warriors would be fantastic before it all started, mm-hmm. right? So you can't now – you, now you're being greedy. You know, a lot of fans are disappointed and this and that. You got to take it to – with a grain of salt, this is one of the greatest runs of all time in NBA history. Take it, you've been part of it, but it does look like it's winding down. Um, we'll get into the Lakers a bit later, but – the question remains now: Where, where to for the Warriors? Um, there, there's a lot going on in Warrior world. The Paul on situation definitely has not uh, gotten any better. Uh, you know, we saw videos of of Paul ignoring Draymond numerous times for high fives and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I, I assume it's not good. There's there's rumblings of the the older group not meshing with the younger group. There's rumblings of Kaminga. This was an interesting one, Pro. Um, Steve bench Kaminga. From what I understand, Kaminga thinks or thought he should be playing much more minutes mm-hmm. um, than he is, and and didn't want to be a glorified role player. Um, thought he, you know, it's get, the getting my bag mentality of a young guy. And look, it is what it is. He's a young guy, and he probably thinks I'm um, I can do more than I'm showing here. You know, blah blah blah. I don't think he knows how to play off the ball that well, which is a problem. But I think they could have used him this series, bro. And I think Steve was, you know, probably adamant on teaching him a life lesson. You're not going to play in this series if you're going to bitch and complain about minutes. But you put him at the four next to Draymond, uh, with Draymond at the five in those small ball lineups. Now you've got a lob threat, and they missed that for most of the game. You know, Draymond catches in those half rolls. What I mean is, Steph and Clay come off a pick and roll. The Lakers were half trapping or half blitzing. You throw it to Draymond at the top of the free throw line. Now he can attack the basket, or we can usually swing it out historically Draymond would attack and you had to kind of come down on a Javel McGee or someone like myself or one of these bigger guys that can throw down a lob dunk. You had to come back and at least get a body, which then what? Opened up three-point shooting. Well, the Lakers were just like, you know what? Looney's not an athletic guy. He's a, below the- he's a great player and a workhorse, but he's not an above-the-room finisher. He's a below-the-room finisher. We're going to hedge that you're going to throw it to him and we can recover in time and get to shooters. So, I think Kaminga could have been useful. Does it change a series? Probably not. But I think having an athlete that can get their head above the rim, I think hurt the Warriors. But anyway, that, that there's a fact that there. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he wants out of there, uh, which is crazy. You know, playing you're playing behind Steph and Clay and these guys. You play a role until until it's your time. Uh, Bob Myers has not signed a extension. Um, Apparently it's been rumored he's been offered one numerous times and still hasn't agreed. So I don't know if it's a low ball. I don't know if he wants to be there. Who knows? I'm not going to read between the lines, but from what I understand pro if Myers leaves, Kerr leaves, that's my understanding of of the lay of the Mm -hmm. land there. Um, So there's that crossroad with the franchise. There's Draymond Green has a player option for mid twenties. I think high 20 million uh, for next season. The question is, does he opt in? Does he get that on the free market? Does he take a sweetheart deal from the Warriors, meaning he's going to forego that $26, 27000000 and say, all right, I'll do a three for 50. Gives you a bit of a discount. Does he do that? Jordan Poole stunk it up this playoffs for the most part. Do they move him? Klay Thompson's extension is coming up. Is he going to ask for the max considering his body of work previously, which we generally don't see in the NBA, but he's going to definitely be asking, hey, you've paid Jordan Poole. You've paid – Draymond Green, you're going to pay me. So this is the first time they're in a in a really big crossroad. I mean, they had the issues a couple of years ago when they didn't make the playoffs, but that was mainly inflicted upon it by injuries and and just bad luck, right? This is a a big big time for this franchise for the next five ten year plan, and do they have one? Um, uh, you know, if they extend and keep this group together, their salary cap is going to be insanely high, right? Insanely high. It's going to be an all-time high uh, for for salary caps, and they just came out of a second-round exit that was not too complimentary of, of 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 the way the Warriors have played. So your question as an owner, as a GM, is like, do we invest, you know, three, four hundred million dollars into a team that peaked the second round, right? Um, but that's we haven't really had to have this conversation about the Warriors. We had it subtly. The year they had a bad year, but like I said, injury inflicted. Steph played minimal games that year. Clay got hurt. You know, there was all those factors. This team was relatively healthy this season, for the most part, um, and the peak was a, a second round bomb out, pro.
1: Yeah, Boggs. I think um, if you're, you know, if you're Golden State, I I don't think you're going to be investing all that money into this group. This group has sort of gone where they're going to go now. In my opinion, you still have some moves you can make. What I would be doing tomorrow is, well, I'm going to wait, but I'm going to seek out probably moving Draymond, to be honest. I think that's sort of running its course. I, I, look, I love his tenacity, but I think it's time to move on. You're not going to get a lot of value back. I think the, two, the, the three guys you can look to move. I think you keep Steph and Clay. I think you have to treat this as a situation like most championship teams. Look, their young players are not very good. You're not gonna say, okay, we get all these players coming up the pike. Kaminga is average, a little maybe a little above average. I he's made a jump in his shooting. Jordan Poole to me is a, you know, um, uh, Kelly Oubre on Jordan, st-
0: Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson's Clarkson hot exactly. early in his Clarkson. career. Clarkson, yeah, an Oubre,
1: yeah. um, you know, a, a, one, a Nick Young type of player, a one trick pony that's not really a thinker, but just a scorer. And he's very streaky, and, but he's got a very, very big contract. So I don't think anybody's really. Giving you much for Jordan Poole. That's a lot of money to take on. It's not like it's a big contract for two years where a, a team might give you, you know, an expiring contract and you got to throw in a pick, you know, to, to take them off your hands. It's a lot of money. So what I would probably do, Bogues, I would do one of two things if I or both. First of all, I would seek out the Lakers to see if they would sign and trade Vanderbilt probably Hatchamora and I don't even know if you can do this. So I'm just I'm just spitballing here. I would probably do green, maybe even Kaminga if I had to. And I would I would do it for Vanderbilt, Hatchamora, and I would throw in the young player Max Christie in exchange for Draymond. Look, Vanderbilt's not as good as Draymond, but he's like 23 years old. He's an elite defender. Not to the level Draymond is because the experience and toughness. You know, he doesn't give you offensively what Draymond does with the passing, but he's pretty good. And he gives you a younger player that you could probably do for a better contract than Draymond's as far as the money. And then you've got two other players that Max Christie is a young player that could be an all-star. I think he's very, very good. He hasn't really played a lot because he have a lot of guards. And I like Hachimura, and he's an improving player. And then you got to ask yourself, where do we want to go here? Because you could probably, probably go to the Mavericks and see what you want to do with Kyrie. Could you play Kyrie and Steph in the same lineup? I don't think so, but I'm just saying, Wiggins is the only other guy that can give you some value. But I don't know what you can get back, but you got to look at the guys like Bradley Beal or Kyrie, or somebody else to that like that veteran that they're trying to move. You're not going to do it for Ayton, you know, because you got Looney, who's very good and a great contract. But I think Draymond, you can move. And I think Wiggins, you can move. I love Wiggins. I think he played great, you know, for, like, from where he was in Minnesota to where he is now is unbelievable. And that was an unbelievable development job by Golden State. Could be your culture. I don't know what it was, but it really set him apart in – you know, being more streamlined in his game, you know, really just sort of locked into being a really good role player. And he was, a, and he's a winning player for them. But that's what I would do, Bogues. I don't know about the Kyrie thing. That's just spitballing. But I would definitely look to the Lakers. Look, Draymond wants to play LeBron. Let's be honest. He would love to do that, if not stay in the Golden State. Vanderbilt's a really good player. You can get two other good players with him. And I think the Lakers would think about it because, look, at times, Vanderbilt was really good. At times, for them in the playoffs, they couldn't really play him. Draymond gives you more offense than, than Vanderbilt. Yes, he's older, but he gives you toughness. He gives you a guy that can win in the playoffs. He could. He still has really good value for a couple years for certain types of teams, and I think the Lakers are that type. Because, look, I would keep Looney. He's a great vet. You know he's a guy that can, you know, that could that that really knows the system. You can rely on him. He's a pro every night. Steph and Clay are your cornerstones, but I think re-signing Green to a long-term deal when you know you you got to do something else. You got to make a move, and I think Wiggins and Green are the only guys you can move from. I don't think Bogues, and I'd like your feedback. Can you get anything for pool with that contract? I mean, as of now. Before I sign off on this thing, he's owed next year. Now his deal didn't even kick in yet. Thirty-one next year, thirty-three seven in the year after that, thirty-six two, and then thirty-eight seven in twenty-six twenty-seven. I don't think anybody is taking that contract to be honest with you.
0: And-, and that's the deal. That's probably going to hurt him in, in 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 being able to keep the group together, right? Like, it's does Clay now leave because there's not they, I mean, I don't know if they give Clay the max. I, I don't. Um, based on injury history and age, they're probably not going to do it. They probably want a team friendly deal. My thing is, does Clay take a team friendly deal? Does he say, hey, I've I've I brought four championships here. I was a big part as anyone to this championship run. I want to be compensated. He might he might feel pissed off the fact that, you know, and and arguably the Warriors didn't need to pay Jordan Paul at that point, I don't think. Right? they they, they could have waited. Um and they were, they were scared and you know, might lose him in the free market, but I, I don't think they would have. But yeah, that's that's a tough contract. We know we've, we've discussed numerous times. Every contract's movable. That one's tough. Um and, and I don't think the Warriors have a bunch of picks coming. Um, I don't I don't know what their pick situation is, but if you move that, you're gonna be probably taking a shit sandwich of a contract back from someone else, i.e., like Rudy Gobert or something like that, with some picks that you're gonna lose. Like that's the way you move it. It's gonna be a like for like shitty contract. You're not gonna get a good value contract and a great player for that. You're gonna to have to eat some eat some uh, concrete on that one. So I agree. I mean, it's a it's a big crossroad. I think it's an exciting. As, as, as someone who just follows the NBA to see what they're going to do. Does Myers stay? Does Kerr stay? Does, does everything just become a honeymoon again and everything's back to normal? I don't know. They've got a lot of, of things to do. All right, Denver Phoenix. Uh, this was a, a series of the opposites, in my opinion, uh, just the way style of play and all that kind of stuff. It ends up finishing um, in the favor of of the Denver Nuggets. They they go and absolutely pummel the Phoenix Suns, I think the final scoreline was very complimentary. It was 125 to 100. It was way worse than that numerous times throughout the game. No one wins – no one loses home court the first four games and then Denver steal it in, in, in game six. But it was two different styles of play pro and I, I picked Denver in this one 4-3 based on, I think, Denver being together another year. Um, there's a lot of growth there. They've gotten better defensively. I like what they've done. Jamal Murray's healthy. Porter's relatively healthy. Um, but it was, it was a ball movement versus ISO series simple as that. Um, you know the the Suns are very ISO dependent Durant finishes with 29, 10 and 5. not great clips though uh, not great shooting clips at times throughout that series. Uh, Devin Booker went Kobe mode for two or three of those games it was very very impressive individually. Uh, Devin Booker finishes a series averaging thirty points a night with seven ass- or eight assists and f- and five uh, rebounds. Shot fifty five percent from the three for the series. Doesn't shoot a lot of them actually. Pro he only shoots five a game. You think he shoot more than that? Fifty six percent from the field and eighty seven percent from the free throw line. Durant's clips were were down forty five percent from the, the field, twenty two percent from three. Pro so not great from three, but still still relatively respectable numbers for KD there. Aiden basically a wall for this series with ten and eight. Uh, so much so that our guy Jock Landau got a lot of minutes more than he played in the regular season, average 18 minutes a game in this series and one of the one of the games he barely played. But then you go, you know, everything just seemed like a grind for Phoenix to get. As as crazy as Kobe as as Booker went, it's it was all a grind. It's all dribble down, throw it to one of those guys, ISO, Denver's gonna double, and then they get a swing swing. And I felt like the games that they played really well was when they you know, they somewhat not relied, but they were. They were open to, to kicking it to a, a Landry Schammett in the corner for a three or a Terrence Ross or, you know, and I think they needed to do a little bit more of that. It was too stagnant, too ISO-based, and it's a hard way to play. And then you go down the other end and then, you know, okay, they did have, have one of the best passing big men of all time. The ball's moving side to side. They're all touching the ball. They're all feeling it. And psychologically, for people listening, when you play a team sport, especially basketball, when everyone feels a ball, they feel the leather on the ball, every other possession, you feel involved mentally. You feel good, you know, and then all of a sudden you have an open jump shot or an open three, you make it. You feel good about yourself. When you're on the Phoenix Suns and you are a Landry Shamet or a Jock Landale and you haven't touched the ball for 15 straight trips and then all of a sudden they double, you know, KD or Booker and it goes swing, swing to you in the corner, Landry, you better make this. It's a huge shot for us, very hard shot to make. And I experienced that under the Mark Jackson era uh, with the Warriors, that was his style of play. He was very isolation based, and was more along the lines of whoever made the last shot, we're going to you well to the well runs dry. Then we're going to go to the next person. And what teams used to do to us back then was they they knew they let Steph, you know, somewhat get going in the first three quarters, and then they said, "Hey, we're going to in the fourth, let's get it out of his hands and make one of these other guys beat us because we feel they haven't been involved, they haven't touched the ball." And it was exactly that. All of a sudden, it's a tough shot. So that was kind of what I thought with the series. Jokic um, Jokic's just phenomenal. I mean, his, his numbers just just bonkers. 35 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists a night, 60% from the field, 45% from three, 85% from the free throw line. Jamal Murray came to play this series as well, 25, uh, 6, and 5. He still has a tendency to disappear a little bit uh, through stretches, but he was as aggressive as he should have been. Michael Porter Jr. not a great series, um, but okay. Twelve points a night, but they're, they're, they're so balanced, Denver, and that's what I like about them. They've got so many weapons, and they're going to be they're going to be a tough beat for the Lakers. But this series, I think, should have went a little bit closer than it did. The way the Phoenix Suns bowed out again under Monty Williams this season, another closeout game blowout. Um, not good, but other than that, Aiden, oh, Aiden uh, does not play in Game Six, Pro. So it copped a lot of shit, I think, um, early on in the series. Whether he's hurt or not, there's question marks around that. But I think they missed him, you know, because you might not say his play was super influential, but what it does is it throws the whole rotation out. We saw that now. Jock Landau's playing more minutes, and he's played all season. He's got tired legs towards the end of a game. You know, Bismack comes; it just changes the whole flow of their rotations. And I think that really did hurt him in that game. It was just all kind of all kind of strange. But to me, it came down a ball movement versus ISO, and that's what cost the Suns a series. Pro,
1: yeah, Boggs. I mean, look, I think that. You're right. When the ball moves, you know, in this league, you you're really hard to stop. And and it gets everybody in a like a maximum mental state offensively, as far as well, I'm gonna touch the ball a little bit. You know, not to the point where it's you're gonna touch it all the time, but you gotta touch it enough. And, and I think that look, that's what the way Phoenix plays. They had to trade a lot of assets to get you know Durant in town. And I look I, I would do that that move a million times. You got to bring in a player like that. But you, you sort of cost yourself a lot of depth doing it. So you're highly, you know, you you got to really rely on him and Booker. Now, look, you know, Chris Paul getting hurt. It was interesting because Paul gets hurt, but yet the ball moves a little better without him in the game. And you got to ask yourself, maybe are they a little bit better uh, without him? I don't know because of the experience – As far as like the basketball IQ, being able to make plays, you got to go to Cameron Payne, and then Booker's got to handle the ball more. You know when he's not in the game, but yeah, you're you're heavily relying on isolation scoring between Booker and Durant, and if it works, I mean, when those guys are clicking, it's really good. The problem is in the playoffs, they didn't really have a lot of like a lot of nights where they were both clicking. Booker went. Stray Kobe for most of the series, you know, except that last game. I mean, he was phenomenal. And Durant was good in his own way. I think Durant, like he was, when he was struggling, but he had that really good game when he went to the line a bunch of times. I think when you're a scorer and things aren't happening for you, look, no one has to tell Kevin Durant how to play or how to score. But I think when you're not making shots and it's just not working for you, you got to find other ways. You got to get to the free throw line. You got to get easy looks just to get yourself going. I remember, you know, talking to Kobe a lot, texting him at halftime or emailing him at halftime. And, you know when he had a really rough first half. I'm like, look, dude, you got to put your head down, get to the free throw line, get you know, get some transition scores, get some things that are just gonna get you rolling again. But getting to the line is really important, and I think that when he gets to the line, especially you know those Oklahoma City days where he's getting there 12, 14 times a night, like that's the that's what you have to do, especially when you're struggling. And Aiden, look, you know. Aiden should, like I said before, he should lock himself in a room and watch David Robinson his first couple years in the league when he was just impacting the game by running, getting the ball in deep post ups, scoring, you know, being aggressive defensively. Not much of a rim protector, but he could still help, you know, by just being in the thick of things. And I think he really hurt his value this playoffs about disappearing. And I think that, you know, your value in this league is to your team and to other teams. And I think that. You there's a lot of talk about maybe Kyrie getting dealt there. Well, I don't know if I'm Dallas and I'm thinking about signing, trading Kyrie, and I have to get Aiton back, fresh off a big contract where, you know, he's going to have to get paid, what, 32 next year, 34, and then 35. And, you, and this is basically make or break for that organization. And, you know, are you going to bring in a guy like that who disappears? On the other end of things, let's not just talk about Phoenix's woes, but, you know, Denver was awesome. You know, Jokic's ball movement, just to play, you know, how he played, how those other role players played around him. Murray had good nights. Porter, you know, Porter played with some energy at times and it was really tough to stop you know, Gordon played well, and they were just sort of, they're just a fun team to watch because the ball moves, they shot the ball pretty well, you know, they just got out there, bench players of like Bruce Brown was really fun to watch, even Braun, you know, Christian Braun played well, and Jeff Green, and you know, like just watching those guys compete, but KCP made plays, you know, it was just good, it was good to watch, but I agree with you, ball moving versus isolation. Although, like I said, that team is built for isolation in Phoenix with those two guys. It just is. And they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do if they're going to keep Aiton and how you're going to upgrade your role players off the bench to get you more shot making, more scoring, you know, um, some defense off the bench as well. But... um yeah, it was it was it was tough to watch because he wanted to see Phoenix make the finals. I think a lot of teams expected them to have a chance to make the finals and then the bow out the way they did, but then again they had the injury of CP and a little unlucky with that. And then, you know, Booker's off night and uh, the last night, and then, you know, Durant really, even though statistically he was all right, not really being the Durant that we're used to during the regular season. It just um yeah it was unfortunate, but that's just sort of the way it, the way of it. I will give him this and we'll talk about this you know, especially in later and you know in the show at least Durant showed up to his media and actually took the you know took the beating. you know he didn't take the beating. he just sort of answered the questions about why he didn't play well, why they lost. he didn't hide from it. you know that's class. That's what a great player should do. I think all great players are a little bit different how they play, but how they approach media when they things don't go their way and have to answer those questions. Guys like Jordan did it every night. You know, Jordan, Larry Bird, those guys, they answered media good or bad or the ugly. They didn't throw their team under the bus. They took it, they took the highs and they took the lows. All these players today, they love taking the accolades when they play well, when those media guys blow them. But now when it's time to answer it, when you don't play well, you got a bunch of these players skipping media and and I think that's that's pretty that's pretty bad. It's pretty immature and that's pretty enti- it just shows entitlement and the wrong things that we're teaching young players how to hide from adversity. Everybody likes tweeting out that they deal with adversity, blah blah blah, all that Jeff Gordon bullshit, John Gordon bullshit, you know, Tony Robbins bullshit. But when it's really time to face it, when things don't go your way, and you hide from it, and just oh, I'm not talking the media. Booker was that guy, you know. The Memphis guys were those guys, and I think that you have to take it, the good and the bad with this stuff. And I do applaud Kevin Durant for that. He didn't he didn't just blow off the media and hide from it. He took it like a man, and I do have respect for that.
0: Where to for Phoenix? They they're in some interesting times. I mean, uh, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker contracted through to. 25-26 for Durant and 26-27. They're not going anywhere. DeAndre had an elephant in the room. Does he get moved? There's rumblings. I don't want him around. Chris Paul, partial guarantee for next season. I believe the partial guarantee date is June, end of June. So well done by <laughs> with his agent on that one because it puts a lot of pressure on Phoenix. Uh, and uh and it's fully unguaranteed, non-guaranteed for next season, I believe. The season after, I believe. So um, they're still on the hook for 15 million if they don't pick it up. Um, but I think what we're going to see is I'll pick. They'll either pick it up, knowing they have a trade, they have a trade organised, which is which would be days after he picks it up. They pick it up and then move him, or they, you know they just they just move him on. I, I can't see him coming back on that contract. I think it's, it'd, be, it'd be a crazy play for Phoenix to make. He's owed 30 odd million over the next or 60 million over the next two seasons. Uh, but role players, they got to go out and get some role players. Jock Landau is a free agent. Um, we're, we're talking somewhere between five and eight, nine million, somewhere around there, pro. that's what we think. He should get um, from someone around the league. I think he's shown enough the ability to run the floor. and um, He does have a three-ball. Three-ball deserted him a little bit this season. He's going to get in the gym and work on that. But he was he was a good energetic backup, four or five for them at times. And I think teams are probably sniffing around that mid-level area for him. But they need to get some role players. They, they, they just need to get some guys in that can – come and con- contribute and complement the stars. I-, I thought Shamit playing because of the Chris Paul injury was was good. I didn't realize his contract was as high as this. He's owed 10 11, and 11.5 11 over the next three years. But I-, I think he can be a helpful guy because he's a feet-set three-point shooter. Uh, they probably need another defender to put in with these guys. That's probably one thing they were missing, which was Torrey Craig Pro, but disappeared in this series. Didn't really play a lot, which was interesting. Um, they went away from him. Obviously, not providing a lot of spacing offensively, but then you go to the other end, they probably could have used him. But uh, Phoenix with an interesting choice. What do you do with CP three?
1: I'm probably going to look to deal um, CP for sure. Um, Just move him on. You know, the thing about it, it's not not easy. It's not an easy deal to to move on to. You know, it's a 30 million, even though it's it's non guaranteed. But you're, you're saying. You're saying that by the end of June, they have to either pick that up or he's a free agent? I think it's end of June, or yeah. Or fully that, guaranteed or not fully
0: guaranteed. Uh, no, no, he gets he gets the partial. So I think he's partially guaranteed no matter what they do on that date. He gets 15 of it. If they don't pick it up, he gets 15 and walk away, I believe. If they pick it up, he's then contracted for that season for the full 30. Um, but then, obviously, the following seasons um, non-guaranteed as well. So they're on the hook for you know if they opt in, they're on the hook for the full another fifteen on top of what they're already paying. So they might say, all right, we'll bring him back for that extra fifteen, and then not bring him back the following season. But will Chris Paul want want to come back for that? You know, they might move him on. But I mean, just it hurts their cap. I mean, fifty million for for Durant, fifty for Booker, Aiden's on thirty four, Chris Paul will be on thirty, and and Shamit's in the double digits. That's basically your salary cap. <laughs> so you now you have to go out and. You know, get some mid-level type talent to put around Duran and Booker with what money, right? As that's that's the hard thing. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough decision for Phoenix. I don't know what they're going to do. I
1: mean, if if Dallas can give you Kyrie and you want to live with that, I think you might have to at least explore it. And look, Kyrie, you know, it, it's he's obviously a powder keg as far as like what we're talking about with him right and the issues that he's had just sort of you know word salad stuff and social media stuff but can you can you trust eight? and a lot of people are saying no I think you're gonna have to move on from him and you have to look at you know guys like Bradley Beal if he wants to move you know do you, do you move him to Portland for Dame Lillard I don't think Portland does that I don't think they're gonna want to take on that money so you got to just sort of go up and down and seeing, well, can I get a good player for Ayton? Or you deal with it. I I think you're you're sorta of, it's tough because your whole salary cap is basically Booker Durant and Ayton. And it's really hard to, you know, to really upgrade what you're doing. You're gonna have tax you know, taxpayers mid level, which isn't that much. And you know, it's not really it's not really gonna be easy to add players. Look, this is what you do. I mean you move a lot of your assets to get a great player in Kevin Durant. And I would again, I would have done that that move a million times. And the problem with Chris Paul is the injury stuff going late in the season, and you're flipping a coin to see if he's going to be healthy or not. And look, I I really like Chris Paul in your lineup. You know, he he gives you that I you know that IQ that vet, veteran leadership. He's tough, but the problem is late in the year you could rest him all you want but that you know deep in the playoffs most likely he's probably going to get banged up a little bit if not for long stretches so that's going to be tough and but I think you got to move him but you're not going to get anything for him so it's basically going to be you know a throw in he, he'd be a throw in for the Kyrie deal with him in 8 in the Dallas if that's if that's going to be on the table um you you looking at other places as well I just don't know where you're gonna get that value back, you know. If you're dealing, you know, for eight, and you know, you only have one or two deals that you can really make, and a lot of people just don't trust them, so they're in a tough deal. But the first thing they're gonna to have to figure out is who the head coach is gonna be, and going forward, like who's gonna be the leader of the team. If Doc Rivers gets moved, is it gonna be Doc? Um, you know, our guy Nick Nurse. You know, he's gonna to have to get that NN hat in Phoenix colors. Um, I don't know if that if that's going to help his brand or not. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know where you go with, with, with your coach. Uh, Budenhauser, I don't know. So I think you got you got to figure some things out. You don't really have a lot of wiggle room what you can do. Even if you opt in or opt out to Chris Paul, I, I just don't know, you know, where you go from there for them. I think the only really move they have, look, you're going to keep Booker, you're going to keep Durant. I think the only really move you have is, you know, is to move Aiton. And for Lawndale, I'm, I'm, to me, I'll probably give him four years, thirty-two, maybe the fourth year partially guaranteed. But as you could, as he saw in the playoffs, what he did was he's an energy guy. He's a guy you can rely on. He sets screens. He's smart. He can catch his three ball. Will get better in time. It, it really wasn't consistent most of the year, but I think his toughness really shows to being a, a very valuable second unit big that could really help you. And you know who else I liked? I mean, um I like Torrey, uh, Torrey Craig early in the playoffs. I thought he did, you know, a good job making shots and being tough and being smart. Damian Lee at some points like he's a good player. TJ Warren, you know, really didn't give he did, he he was up and down. Terrence Ross up and down, but you know, Bambo, the only thing about Bambo with them going forward is like He's a good screen setter. He's strong. He's tough. He plays hard, but he can't really catch. He's not an offensive threat. He's a decent lob threat. Not, you know, all right, shop locker, He's got length. But, you know, I I, I think you got to figure out what you're going to do, either going forward with De or Bayamo coming off the bench. You know, you, you got to pick one and, and get rid of the other guy, in my opinion. But, yeah, not a lot of wiggle room there for for, for Phoenix folks.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I just think CP just doesn't fit with... Seven and KD being ISO guys, you can probably get a cheaper third option that can shoot the ball better from three. A more, fit. I'd, I'd rather play Landry at times, to be honest, because he's a better three point shooter. So I just don't know how that all fits. But yeah, Monty Williams gone. Ty Lue linked to that one, um, trying to lure him away from the Clippers, which is which is always interesting. But anyway, New Jersey. Uh, sorry, uh, what do we have? Miami and uh, New Jersey in here. And New York. Okay, so. Credit to Miami again. Um, They continue to get it done with a shorthanded roster. Outcoached and outplayed, in my opinion. Uh, I think your guy Tibbs got coached in this series in different aspects. I I felt like they should have been in numerous games, um, that they just weren't. They just couldn't couldn't get it rolling. Uh, Jimmy, you know, clamped Brunson the first couple of games when they they got their their first few wins. Uh, Brunson turned it on a little bit later in the series and finished with some decent numbers. But I think New York really should have been they really should have been in this series. Uh, should have been, you know, at least a closer uh, six gamer than it was, um, potentially seven. But you gotta give credit to Miami, man. They continue to figure it out. Um, they've got some winners on that team. Some guys that grinded out. Jimmy Butler, twenty four seven and six for the series. Brunson, thirty one five and six. Um, but yeah, a clunky series. We never thought it was going to be pretty. But, yeah, the Heat just the heat just continue to find a way to progress. Um, they're going to go on to the next round. I'm going to probably say the same thing about them in the preview versus Boston, but um, credit to them. They're, this is a massive overachieving season for them considering the obstacles they've had to face with injuries and whatnot. So uh, a, a decent series, albeit a little bit clunky. I mean, Randall, I needed more from him. The Knicks, I mean, he struggled throughout the series to score the ball, 41% from the field, 28% from three. Uh, four turnovers game, four assists, which is horrendous. Uh, RJ Barrett turned it on a little bit, got his numbers in later on in the series, but when they needed him early, he wasn't there. Josh Hart was was pretty good, but probably didn't have the same effect he had in the first first round and not much else there other than that. I mean, Grimes in, ends up playing, you know, 30 minutes a night just to guard Jimmy. Um, he battled for the most part, but they they, they were searching for, for that second, third, fourth option. Right. Um, Robinson was was okay uh, at times defensively, but offensively didn't really give him a whole lot, and just a clunky clunky series. Credit to Miami; I mean, they were they were tough. Bam Adebayo finished the series off well. Didn't start it off well. Struis, their third leading scorer, played very very well with fourteen tonight. Um, Kyle Lowry had had his fingerprints on a few of those games as well, with you know his defense and flopping and charges and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they got a tough guard unit. You know, you look at Lowry, Martin, and Vincent. That's three tough defensive-minded guards. And Jimmy Butler, you've got four guys that can really guard at a bio down back. Uh, Kevin Love had had a few decent games as well. So credit to Miami Pro, but I, no one would have saw this coming, and we definitely didn't. I don't think people are giving enough credit to what the Miami Heat have done this season.
1: Yeah, Boggs, you mentioned it um, a couple weeks ago, seven players – you know, undrafted on their roster in the playoffs. That's I mean, that's an amazing feat. And, you know, be able to compete with a roster like that without Tyler Hero, without, you know, without all the depot and, and and being able to go, you know, with guys like Struess and Martin and Vincent, you know, on top of of course Butler and Adebayo. Look, those guys played hard. They competed. They played well. They, you know, they just were tough and they hung in there. Duncan Robinson, that everybody sort of, you know, sort of threw off the boat. The guy just steps up and plays, and you know, gets ready and plays major minutes in the playoffs. In my opinion, compared to what he was used to, and, and was pretty effective. You know, my hats off to those guys. Yeah, New York a, a little bit. Uh, you expected a little bit more from them. You know, Randall disappeared uh, for the most part. R.J. Barrett just just didn't give you enough, and look, Brunson was great, he was phenomenal throughout the whole playoffs, he put that team on his back, and, and, he, and he really he stepped up to the challenge, it's his first playoffs, you know, series being the, the number one option, and look, the guy just put up unbelievable numbers, and and willed their team to win, and, and, and really, you know, competed to the end, and my hat's off to him, you know, the question is, what are you going to do going forward with this team, and you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that now, but that's that's tough. I, I just, well, that's exactly yeah.
0: it. mean Brunson, Brunson's locked into a really, really good deal really now. You look at it, 27, 26 next season, 24 and 24. It's a declining deal as it goes year on year, but you got Randall now, 25 next season, 27. It goes to 29, the, the fourth, the third year, sorry, 25, 26. Fournier is elephant in the room. Doesn't play any minutes. I thought he could have helped in this series. Well, he shoots the ball, doesn't get in. Thibs just went complete. Thibbs has a habit of getting completely off. Guys, we saw it with um, who was a guy that ended up in Portland. What was his name? Um, and they traded away.
1: Oh, the key from Duke, um, Cam Reddish.
0: That's right, Cam Reddish. Yeah, it's just I just lost it. But yeah, he, same thing. Just didn't want to play him under any circumstances. He could have helped them somewhat. I mean, they needed they needed shooting around Randall at times, um, and especially when they had the lineups with Randall and Robinson out there. Not a lot of three point shooting at the four and five. You got to put a guard out that can shoot it a little bit better and. That was Grimes' minutes essentially guarding Jimmy. but And Fournier is on the hook for $18 million and then a $19 million uh, option this season after. So they have uh, a team option, which they most likely won't, well, obviously won't pick up. And then you got Robinson making 15 14 and 12 So they're pretty locked in, but they are 19, 19th this season in salaries. So they've they got, they got a little bit of room. Barrett's number heavily jumps next season, 23 25 27 29 There's talks that they, they want to bring back Josh Hart, 15 to $20 million range. But other than that, they can't really do a lot, bro. I don't, I don't know what else they can do. There's talks of Carl uh, Anthony Towns wanting to somehow navigate his way to New York, um, but other than that, you're not you're not hearing a whole lot of, of of what New York can do. But they, you know, Stephen A. Smith ran on on RJ Barrett and Randall. There was some truth to it to an extent. I think Randall definitely needs to get better. And, well, what did he say, Bugs? Oh, he just annihilated Randall. He said he's done with Randall. They need to trade him <laughs> ASAP. Said that you know he. If his offense isn't flowing, his uh, his body language is awful. And, and to a, to an extent, you know, Stephen A. obviously goes the aggressive route to get to get people talking. He's got a point. Like Julius's game has always been dictated by whether he's making shots or not. Whereas I think he can be much more useful than that at times. You know, by he can still buy in defensively. He can draw a charge. He can grab some rebounds. You know, you can get some assists. But you can usually usually tell by. The way he's going up and down the court, whether he's in a groove offensively or not. Because when he's in a groove offensively, he's tough. He's, he's a, he had an all star year and a couple of year, years ago, and he's put up good numbers. But just probably not, not that guy. I think Brunson's working his way to the number one. I don't think he's there yet solidly. I think he's very, very close to being, you know, the all time number one for them. Um, but they probably need that. They need that s- solid two option. You know, someone like, um someone like a clay thompson someone like someone like that that they can get in and fit in they can play two two ends um, is, is, that's what barrett's supposed to be but uh, i'm not sold on barrett, barrett long term um he's young so i wouldn't give up on him yet but i still think they need to bring in someone now they're kind of stuck salary cap wise um hart's probably the the biggest name that they can keep which is on their roster anyway and, and It'll be it'll, it'll help their cap because he's he's with them already. But if they can get town somehow, it's like, well, you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot for it. And I don't think I don't think they have the assets or the tools to to bring back. They do have some picks though, pro, I probably believe. So they can do something maybe to entice Minnesota to get some of the picks that they sold the farm for. <laughs> they got rid of to to Utah with Danny Ainge swindled them. but yeah, I mean, um, New York. Look, considering where they've been the last ten years, uh, still a positive year. But I, I felt like they let one slip, not getting through, um, not getting through Miami. But what do you see? Do you think? Do you think they hold Pat? Do you think they try to move Randall? Barrett, Both? Well,
1: I, the question with Randall is, you know, who wants him, and what? Who's going to give you something for him? And I don't want to say he's not valuable. The guy averaged 25 and 10 on a playoff team. He could definitely help a team. The problem is, like, young teams wouldn't probably want to take him because they want to develop and go young and go forward with it. And then, you know, the way he plays isn't for everybody, especially in today's age of game. And I think that, you know, only specific teams, maybe a Washington, maybe a Charlotte, you know, I, I don't see many other teams like, you know, maybe maybe a swap for Randall, maybe, I mean, um, for Towns, you know, Randall for Towns, and then you got to give a little bit more, who knows, but I don't know what you're going to get for him. Look, I think Brunson, the way I have Brunson rated, and I haven't rated much better than I had him when, you know, when he signed the Sign the deal. I have him as a non-elite first option, first option on a team. Definitely could be a first option, but just like an elite first option player, like a Dame Lillard or something like that. But he's real close to that. He's sort of in that. He's yeah, close. He's, yeah, he's, he's close. definitely close. So you got Jalen, right? And you got. I, I would keep Runson. I like Robinson as a you know rim protector, or, or, a lob threat. So I like him. I don't love him, but I like him. I think RJ, the problem with RJ is he shoots 31 from the three. You know, he's a he's gotta be able to make shots consistently. He's a decent playmaker out of a guard spot. He rebounds pretty well and he's athletic and all that, but he needs to do more. I really like Hart. You gotta keep him. I like what I saw out of To uh Toppin and Hartelstein, you know, in the playoffs when when they hit, when they had to play some minutes. But yeah, they definitely gotta upgrade. They don't really have a lot of room to do to deal with stuff. Um, you know, I I think the Fournier experiment, yeah, they could have helped him a little bit, but he, they really shut down Fournier most, most of the year, and I think this is a, a good lesson not to, not to watch any Olympic events during the summertime because everybody gets, you know, falls in love with those guys who are the like unsung heroes in the Olympics, but I like Fournier, I think it helped, but. You know they need shooting. Like right? they need to be able to stretch the floor. Because Brunson, when you don't have shooting and he's dribbling around trying to find a a play to make, and you can't stretch, you know, spread the floor out because you don't really have shoot a consistent shooting, it's tougher for him to make. You know, to really get to get going on what he needs to be doing consistently. So I think Randall, you're gonna to have to move. The the question is, you're probably gonna to have to throw in some things just to get them off your books and to get them to somewhere. You're probably not gonna get a lot in exchange for them. Barrett, you could probably get some things for. They're sort of in an influx. You could keep everybody together, but the problem is with the NBA bugs, and you know this, like, like right, they were fifth in the in the East, right? You know, 4735. Like, how much better are they gonna get? You know, Brooke, like Like, they're in that Brooklyn sort.
0: Together, you mean? What's up? If they stay together, you mean? Yeah, if they stay
1: together, like, how much better, like, Mm. like, you're not going to make a big jump. They're missing a yeah. piece. Yeah, and you don't have these... Yeah, they're missing one piece. Yeah, you don't have these picks and things like that. You get some teams that are trying to make some moves. So I don't know what they're going to do, Bogues. They're they're sort of stuck. I like that team. They're tough. They're gritty. I really like Tibbs as a coach. And I think they do a good job, but they're very, very limited. And the problem is the trade pieces, you're not going to get anything great. You're going to keep Brunson. He's your, he's your number one option going forward, right? And then... You, Like everyone else is sort of on the, uh, could be traded. I like Hart. You got to keep him. And then you get some decent pieces, but nothing that anyone's going to be like, yeah, we're going to give you this great player for. So as you said, that number two option, it's going to be really hard to acquire. It's not like you could throw RJ and Randall in a trade. You know, they're hard enough individually to get rid of. And if you combine them, that they're impossible. So you got to figure out what you're going to get back and how you're going to do it. Are you going to take it? You can't really tank. It's New York. They've been tanking the last decade anyway, without even trying to tank. They tanked. So it's not like that fan base ain't gonna be able to do that. They could spend as much as they want. If they can go three billion over the salary cap, the fucking owner will just raise the price of cable $0. 28 cents a month and pay for it. They're fine financially. But they just they don't really have a lot of flexibility to do a lot. So it'll be interesting what they do going forward that that front office is going to really have to evaluate some you know sleepers and diamonds in the rough to really bring in for low money to be guys that are really hungry and trying to compete they can make shots and, and and sort of make their job easier so it'll be an interesting sort of conversation
0: It is all right Boston Philly that was this morning early Australian time I caught the second half and Philly employed yet again um, I mean they steal game one without Embiid. They go down in game two, obviously. Um, they take game four in you know, overtime. It goes 2-2. Two, two. They get game five with a home game six. And, you know, some people say that they got a bad whistle. Well, whatever whatever it is, it is. That's the NBA. They go down in game six and just get absolutely pummeled um, today, 112 to 88. And people, you know, <laughs> it's probably a bit harsh, but people were saying to me, you know, um, even online you read Joe Mazula inexperienced. I'm like yeah but the Doc Rivers factor is still there like he struggles in tight series and and tight games historically right he's we'll get into some of those stats a little bit later but not great in game sevens Um, and this was yeah this was one that I think I think we almost say the same thing every other year about Philly you know the Kawhi buzzer beater and the Atlanta series is, is always like this is one thing you're gonna think about for a long time till the next season when they do it again. <laughs> it's just like it's very cyclical for them. Like they, they go through the same thing. Embiid was a shell of himself, I think, for the playoffs. I mean, he had a few good games early in this in this in the first round. I thought Maxi was a better player for them in the first round. And then I, you know, Embiid's numbers 25, 9, and 2, 42% from the field, 20% from three. Um one thing I noticed with Embiid, he, he's a monster defensively, but when he's feeling good at the offensive end, he's a monster defensively. Mm-hmm. So he'll be, you know, blocking shots and he's active. And when he's getting the ball at the other end, everything's happy days. When he doesn't get a few touches, a few trips down, or he's missing shots, that defense kind of goes down a few notches. And they saw they exposed him today in a lot of switches. They really attacked him. He wasn't as influential on the defensive end. Um, Harden was Harden one game and then, you know. Wasn't hard in the next. Maxi didn't have a great series, but still finished with 19-5. He's probably the most consistent producer throughout the playoffs, in my opinion. Tobias Harris was generally around his numbers, but they just they, they, they let one slip. And I, I got to give credit to Boston and Tatum. Horrendous shooting performance by Tatum in the first three quarters of game five – game six, sorry, and he just comes out and, you know, Big Kajones just doesn't care. You know, and just, just makes huge shots in that in that game six late and then comes out and puts up 50-plus today. So, yeah, I mean, I thought this would go seven uh, or six or seven. I think I picked it. Um, I thought it would go deep, but Philly letting one slip. And and one thing we've got to talk about, Pro, I'm Embiid. I'm Look, MVP year, regular season, arguable for some people, for some not. But after every loss, he blames his teammates, Yeah, bro. And it's – every loss this series if you watch the press conference post it is his teammates fault so much so we, we need we need more guys to show up after one game today it was we need more than james and i to, to come to play and it's just like i think what embodies an mvp is number one you're the leader of the team they go as far as you take them your you know your your attitude your body language your m o how you handle the media what you do off the court are you doing stupid shit for the most part, NB's pretty good with that and it doesn't get in trouble. But you can't throw your teammates under the bus consistently. Now, every now and mm. then in the regular season, is there a time to light a firecracker? Yes, there is. There's a time where you're like, hey, we need more from, from our bench. this' you know, they're struggling. We need to get more from them. We need this. Once in a while, you get it. Generally more left for the coach, though, right? But but in this series, just this series of of out of the four losses, three of them post-game, he blamed his teammates, bro. So they can do whatever they want, but the scud was going to be around the lead. Do you want to go play with a guy that's going to throw you under the bus? Do you want to go, you know, playing a team that's going to falter under pressure and then you're going to get the blame? That that stuff travels in NBA circles. So I think, uh, you know, and like I said, Boston snatched it. They snatched it. They stole this series, in my opinion. This was Phillies to win, but end of the day, Philly are going home and Boston go to the next round, bro.
1: Yeah, Bogues. I mean, look, Boston, you know, a lot of credit because it wasn't looking good. It was not looking good for them for a while. And, and so there's some talk, there was a scuttlebutt and talk about, you know, possibly a, a coaching change if, the, if if they lost, especially in game seven, if they lost three home games. And I think that's sort of bullshit. You know, you you sort of have a coach. You, you know, the inexperienced thing, I get it. You know, it, I don't care how good you are. You're going to deal with some growing pains in the playoffs. Um you know, and, and some things that you can do better. Look, all young coaches could do that, but hey, a lot a lot of credit to that team to stick it in. They were dead to rights, you know, in game six, and, and they really persevered. And you know, you know, Tatum really had a tough night and sort of finished it great. But that's just sort of a a great testament to that team and, and just sort of staying in it. The whole Philly thing. Look, every roster bogues in the in, you know. Every roster in this league is a little bit, it's not a perfect roster. There's going to be holes in it. It can't be perfect, especially when you have multiple franchise players or max players on your team. You're going to have to give up some things. You're going to have to give up depth. You're going to have to give up some talent. You know, look, we were talking about Phoenix a few minutes ago about what they had to do and give up to get Durant. It does cost, but you can't throw your teammates under the bus. And this is the fucked up thing about the NBA. You basically stand up there like you're bulletproof and, like, well, I, you know, it just can't be me and James. Well, hey, you shot five for 18. James shot three for 11. So, yeah, I get it. You guys are great players for your careers and, you know, Hall of Fame talents. I get that. But look, teams, you know, players are going to have off nights. And I'll tell you what, Tyrese Maxey played a great series, you know, 20 plus points a game. I think he shot over 40% from three. Um, you know, Tobias, you know, Harris, he he He
0: was, he was 35 from three, 35 from three and 40 from the field this series.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. That, that was, uh, that was Maxie. Maxie. Yep. Yeah. You know what? I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to do the dick move and tell the sound guy to fucking, you know, edit that out. I'm going to, I'm going to roll it up. (laughs) I fucked those numbers up. I apologize. But you know, look, I thought he had some good scoring nights. I thought he played well. Look, it's not a perfect roster, but you're right. There are times where you have to throw your team under the bus, especially throughout the season. Maybe in a like after a playoff game when you have you're still in the series, but when it's over and it's done, take the high road.
0: Take the high road. Look, especially as the MVP no man, doubt. you're the MVP of the league. Like you ch- you chase the MVP. They helped you get it. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's you can't you can't just blame your teammates yeah. whenever shit doesn't go right. Yeah. You know, and then if you win the chip, you're like, yeah, I did it. I did like it. That doesn't work that way. And that I think that that's not not a great look for Embiid, in my opinion. Everyone handles these things differently, but I just you just don't see, you know. You don't see Steph doing that. You don't see Jokic doing that. You don't see you don't see these guys doing that. Even KD, you know, as bad as much shit as he gets, you don't see him throwing his teammates under the bus. You just don't. He, uh, look, look, go back and read his comments about Ben Simmons when he was there. He did his best not to not to throw him under the bus, and he could have. He had every excuse to, right. to throw him under the bus, right? So you have to do that as a leader. Like you can't you can't just straightaway blame. And and it's to your point earlier about guys wanting to do media when they win and not wanting to do it when they lose. You, you you can't do that. So I think Philly, uh, you know, they got a lot of a lot of learning to do from this. And you know, and the MVP and whatnot. But you can't. You, I just I just can't I can't buy into that. If if you're one of those guys, that's going to just blame your teammates straight away. Like you said, he, not a great series for an MVP. You know, twenty five and nine at bad clips, mm. especially when you needed when, when you needed to score late in those games. The other one was, uh, I guess, was game six. Game six, they didn't get me the ball the last four minutes, you know. Well, it's like, well, go tell going to tell your coach or your captain or have a huddle on the floor, say something. Hey, give me a touch on this spot. Like, you know, I just, I just don't see that out of Philly, which is disappointing. But where, where do they go, bro? They they have a – James Harden has a option. From, from, you know, people are saying he wants to go back to Houston. That's a scuttlebutt around the league. So he'll be most likely be gone. Joel Embiid's locked up for the long term. Tobias Harris is the highest paid player as of Very now, good. which is which is this season. Uh, next season he moves to 39 million and then becomes a free agent. And B's locked up to 26-27 with an option that last year. Melton, I thought, was solid in glimpses. I think they can they can polish something out of him. PJ Tucker, another eleven million next season, and then an option, heavy decline for him, especially offensively. Made some big plays for him a little bit with that offensive rebound and whatnot. But what they do with him, and then Maxey's obviously their best. Value player, you know, he's <laughs> on, his, on his rookie deal still, right? So four mil next year and then the six mil. Um, interesting to see if they try to keep him long-term. I, I assume they will lock him up long-term with James probably walking away. And they have a little bit of cap space to spend to see what they do with that um, to try and, you know, get someone there. They're 15th right now in salary spend. Um, they will go up a little bit next season, but obviously with James falling off the books, they have a lot of money to spend, and then the following season, they drop from one hundred and sixty to, to sixty. So they have a hundred million in their pocket to spend. so Some of that will go to Maxi, of course. But what what do you see the move is for them to try and get, you know, that conference finals finals?
1: Well, uh, Daryl Morey owes his whole career to James Harden, and he's got a non sexual crush on him, as far as having him with him. And I think he's going to do everything in his power to keep him. And I think the move for them, and I think look for this to happen, one of these two moves to happen. You got to attach Tobias Harris with Maxi, and you have to deal him for Dame Lillard, or you have to deal him for Kyrie Irving. To add, you know, now again, you're going to deal with the same stuff that, that a lot of these other teams do when they give up a lot of assets for one player. I think the only two moves they could make, I, I don't think you could just lose James Harden and then, you know, fill him in with some cap space. Cap space is the most overrated thing in the history of mankind. If I'm a free agent and you're losing James Harden, I'm not going to Philly. I'm looking at that roster and being like, hmm, you got Tobias Harris that, I wouldn't say Tobias is in decline, but he's okay. You got Embiid and you got Maxi. like, okay, like, where are we going? It's a cold weather town. No one really likes living there. And, you know, where are they going? So if I'm Daryl Morey, and him and Harden have a decent relationship. And I'll give, I'll give more, I'll give Daryl this. He is not afraid to go swing for the fences. He's probably one of the best in the league at like doing these like last second moves to like go for the big, go for the big dog. Look, he did it to get Carmelo, he did it for Chris Paul, he did it for Westbrook. He almost got cassol one year. He made the Chris Paul trade to get, you know, I think he was a third team in that trade. Like he's not afraid to try to make a deal. And I think that. Look, Dame Lillard would be good for them because, look, if I'm Portland and I'm – look, you want picks and things, but you could either go picks or get a young player. I don't think Maxi is a level player like Lillard, but I'll tell you what, he's in that Brunson mode of, like, borderline elite player. So, like, why not take a young player still in his rookie deal – you maybe take a pick or two or three or whatever you can scrounge up, whatever they have. You get Tobias Harris as a throw-in, but you get this really good young player. And then Dame Lillard, you get to save him and send him to a team that might have a chance to compete for an ESA Conference Finals. Now, if that doesn't work, and you might, you're going to have to go for option B, you got to try to maybe go, go for broke. I don't know if Kyrie and Harden get along. I don't know, and I don't care. But I'm just saying, like, if I'm Philly... I'm just not letting Harden walk, and then going with Maxie and then the rest of my roster. I, it's just not good enough. So you're gonna have to make a move to either get a, you know, a Bradley Beal, a Dame Lillard, a Kyrie Irving, and then what I'm doing is I'm I'm gonna see if I can get if I can get Jay Crowder, you know, bring him in to be. The replacement at some point for PJ Tucker, because I don't think PJ really has it at that level. Look, Crowder didn't finish the year great, but I think that not playing most of the year really messed him up, and I think that Jay Crowder could be a, a 32-year-old version of Tucker who's 37, a little banged up. You know, Look, he's a warrior. He's very good, but you need somebody with a little bit more offense with that defensive tenacity and that toughness that PJ brings, and I just don't think that he can really do that for 82 games plus playoffs anymore uh, I think Jay Crowder could because he is younger you know and he's battle tested as well so I think those are the things that I'm doing if I'm I don't you know I'm fighting James Harden leaving look I'm not a huge I'm not a big James Harden fan I haven't been in a long time but I think for that roster Bogues because then if Harden leaves and you and now you're first round out or maybe second rounded out again then Embiid wants to leave and now you're really screwed. And I think that you got to make that last-ditch last ditch effort to bring in a veteran, a really good high-level player to play with those guys. And I think that those are your three top options. I think it has to be a guard. I think it has to be someone who could score. And I think it just spreads you out now. With Now Harden could be more of a distributor and have Lillard or a Bradley Beal or a Kyrie Irving you know, in your lineup that could be a potent offensive threat. That's what I would do.
0: Well, James is James is uh, eligible for a four year max, two hundred and ten million. Yeah. The over thirty eight rule complicates adding a fifth year, yeah. uh, which would be worth sixty two million. So, um, Houston Rockets, for instance, can offer him up to two hundred and one. So he'd only make a little bit more if he stayed with Philly. Um, but as you noted, the, they can't let Harden walk for nothing because mm. they gave up a lot to get him right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, and then they don't project to be. A lot of cafes if he leaves, so they won't be able to replace him in free agency adequately, like for like. So they are kind of stuck into keeping him, um, which is which is interesting. All right, moving on, let's give our uh our tips for the next round. Denver, LA, who you got? I, I think I'm like
1: eight percent picking playoffs in my career. I, I'm gonna go with Denver, which means LA is gonna sweep, but I'm gonna go with Denver.
0: What, what do you got? Oh, uh, I'll go four two. Yeah, I'm gonna go Denver four three. I think it's gonna be a great series. I think, um, Jokic hasn't been attacked um, defensively one on one in the last two series. Oh, I thought you, you meant had by Gobert, who's uh,
1: Perkins attacked him. <laughs> I thought you were talking about you know,
0: he, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. Sorry, okay. physically, yes, <laughs> yeah, physically with with a knife or a gun. But um, yeah, I just think AD will pose some problems for Jokic. Uh, Jokic guarded Gobert in the first round. Lob guy, easy to guard. Not going to go at you one on one. Aiden kind of similar. Not really a guy they're going to ISO. AD is going to get his touches to go at Jokic and they're going to try get him in foul trouble. So that's the difference and that's going to play a part. We'll see if, if if Jokic can stay out of foul trouble. He can sometimes get into foul trouble and he has had a history of that against bigs that attack him. So we'll see how that goes. But I think um, for all the shit Jokic gets defensively, I thought he was very good in the Phoenix series, just, just stunning him a little bit. He's not going to block shots. He's not over-athletic, but he's not a poor defender. I think he's he's a pretty average defender because of his IQ and knows where to get to on the floor. So I'm looking forward to that series. Who guards LeBron, I think Gordon's going to start on him. Um, they need to keep Gordon out of foul trouble as well because I think the next option to then guard, I think you got you got Jeff Green sitting on the bench, but Jeff only plays you know 10 or 15 a night. You don't want Porter Jr. or KCP on that matchup for, for, for stretches. Definitely not, so they need to be careful there. But yeah, I'll go 4-3 on that one. Miami-Boston, where are you at on that one? I'll go Boston 4-2. Or two. Yeah, I'm going four. I'll go four one just to go opposite you. I had four one or four two. No, actually, I'm going four two because I think Boston sometimes will just they just let they'll let a game or two yeah. go. A la the Atlanta series, they'll just coast through and kind of sleepwalk through it and be like, oh, "We're going back to Boston. We'll win." So I'm going to go four two as well with this one. Um, I think Miami will grind out a a win below or around about the hundred mark. I think that's what I'm thinking. They'll, they'll have a grind out win that Jimmy just pushes them to, to not lose. And I think their guards, like I said, they're, you know, they have some guards on that Miami Heat team that are grindy physical that can match up well. They're lacking a bit of size, but they play hard. It'll be interesting also to see if, if, if Tyler Harrow can make his way back. I think we're in the fourth week of a four- to six-week injury. So he uh, could come back mid-series, maybe help them a little bit. Don't think it moves the needle. All right, news. Ja Morant, bro. Ja Morant. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Oh my goodness! Um, it's it's good to see the counselling did him wonders. He lasted what a month? Three hours? No, we've been they've been knocked out of playoffs playoffs for two mm-hmm. weeks. I mean, since his since his counselling that was what probably a month ago or two months ago. But what, what are you doing, dude? Like, you know, I know he's a, he's a grown man, um, but his father, he- you know, sits courtside and he's a great great parent and he's supporting. Get your son, man! Like, I know he's a adult, but help this guy out, man. Like, on top of that, you got a friend that's in your car recording you. How good of a friend is it? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Especially considering how much money it's cost him. Um, cost his team probably a, you know, I don't know if they still beat the Lakers without that distraction, but it sure, sure as shit didn't help him. You know, having him miss games and their flow was all messed up. And But, man, like we – and we were both – I think we were both in agreement that when he screwed it up, yeah, take your medicine and we're gonna forgive you. The American public, for the most part, Australia, a little bit different, tall poppy here, but the public are generally gonna forgive you if you put it behind you. What's unforgivable to me now is you do the same thing again a month later. I don't know, I don't know what the NBA does here. Adam Silver's a very pro player and soft on these things. There's people talking about the year. Chandler Pass Mm -hmm. has tweeted it. A few people have mentioned, like, you need to give this guy Mm -hmm. a year and be like, dude, you cannot do what you are doing. You are, unfortunately, Charles Barkley, you know, you are a role model in the city of Memphis. Many kids look up to you. They see, you know, a superstar basketball player at the top of his game, wielding a gun around. What do you think those young kids are going to do that are wearing his jersey? It's just, it's a bad look for everyone, it's a bad look for the league. Well, he wants to have all these, you know, meetings about, you know, don't do this and be careful of this, and and now you've got one of your superstars doing this. This is is very, very, very costly for his career, and I can't say now that I'm confident that he can rehab and come back. I mean, just just absolutely bonkers. Pro, what are your thoughts on it, and what kind of suspension would you give him?
1: Well, I wasn't confident that he was going to get better. You know, I I thought he should have missed the rest of the playoffs. I think that I think that Adam Silver was completely soft on him and allowing him to play in the playoffs. I I think it's time for Adam Silver to take his league back. You know, I think it's a disgrace to the Shield. It's it's a disgrace to, you know, to the logo that what this guy is doing. And I think that with all what's happened in this world with guns. I think you have to take a hard stance. Anything shorter than a year, anything, to me, I'd lose respect. This guy just laughed in your face. You you gave him a deal of all deals to let this guy play in the playoffs, which you should have never done. And I think that you want to send a message and hold the line of like, guns are not good for our league. We have to protect the integrity of the league we can't have young men, you know, that are role models if they like it or not. You know, we talk about all these, you know, senseless gun deaths and we we, we blame politics on one side or the other. But how about now taking a stance and having your your language in your, in your CBA or in your uh, force this one through where it's a year suspension caught with a gun, doing something like that, year suspension. Now look, the players' association will fight you, and you know, I, I'm I'm going harder than hard against the players' association. Tell them the fuck off. This is not right for the league. It's not good, especially when you gave them a chance. I will go one. I would go a minimum of forty your know, forty-two game suspension on the first offense. As you know, in a season, second and third lifetime ban.
0: So you're saying a season now, a but season now, right?
1: Because it's a second offense, I would go a season. Mm-hmm. Now, the least mm-hmm. I'm gonna go, and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna kick back money in in an arbitration, I'm gonna go 70 games. I'm gonna go 70 games minimum, which is basically you should just throw him out the whole year. But I would go a year. But I would I, I am gonna push this through to the Players Association, and if you do have to give back a half a year with him, I would then say, okay, I'll give you back the half year and let him play after All-Star break, but this is what's going to happen. We're going to have a league-wide, okay, league-wide, first offense, half season, second offense, season, third third offense, like the drug deal, lifetime ban. Because this is the nonsense. This is fucking nonsense. And the, and the commissioner has to step up on this one. He can't be like, oh, yo, yo, he can't be kumbaya with these guys anymore. These are professionals. They get paid a lot of fucking money, a lot of fucking money to represent the NBA, and and most of them, most of them are law abiding. They, you know, you don't hear boo from them. They do their thing and they go home, and they're gonna be forgotten. See, to me, John Moran is very replaceable in the NBA, very replaceable. He's a great talent, no doubt about it. But the league's going to go on without him, and he, that's what he's going to understand. Allen Iverson thought the league was was going to go like just stop short when he was gone. And yeah, they remember him a little bit, no doubt about it. But the league goes on. The superstar is going through the pike every year. And there's about five players, and he's not one of them, that are totally non-replaceable. And those are the five MVP candidates. And you have to show that, look, this is not going to be tolerated. This is not going to be a slap in the wrist. This is what it is. And you're going to have to put in some gun laws in your league. Yes, what he did was not illegal. Waving a gun around, if you got a legal, you know, if you, if you got a license and all that stuff, he didn't do any crime. I get it. But it's not good for the league. You've got billion-dollar uh, TV contracts. you got people selling out every night. you got this great product that you're trying to produce to the league. And you have this guy just completely shitting down your throat with this stuff, and waving it in your face and laughing like it's a fucking joke.
0: Now, if you're if you're at a at a gun range and someone snaps a photo of you, or you snap yeah. a photo and that's your hobby, just no problem whatsoever in my book. But no. you're driving down a street with your friends in your car, you know, just flaunting that you've got a pistol with you. Now. I don't know the circumstances. I don't know what, 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 I think Tennessee is pretty strict from what I believe, or Memphis at least is pretty strict on, on, on carries. I don't know. I'd have to look up what the, what the concealed carries are and all the laws around that, but just stupid, just stupid. And you hate to see it. You know, this is, this is addict type behavior with a gun, right? Like it's like, you know, someone needs to help him because he obviously can't help himself, but the league is going to have to address that. Not holding my breath. It'll be some. Uh, surely Adam Silver's reading the room at this point, and just saying, "Look, this kid's got an issue. We need we need to figure this out. We need to we need to punish him heavily and and get on with life." But I won't hold my breath on that one. All right, <laughs> uh, we found out who the one vote was. Pro that did not vote for Jokic in their top five, and it was my good friend Mark Jackson. Nice. Who is now interviewing for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that's just a formality, from what I hear. It's. Um, I don't think he's going to get that one, but it would be good to see him coach again because um, we'll see how that all goes. But the excuse that he gave, Pro, has been called out as well. He said that he voted the MVP like an all-NBA ballot, guard, guard, forward, forward, center, Mm -hmm. and hadn't beat as a center. Oh, didn't have him in my top five. Oops, sorry. But then someone noted he didn't have one of those top five in his all-NBA votes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so a blatant lie Um, I don't think this is indiscretion I think he whatever reason he had you can up to your your own assumptions you didn't want to have Jokic in the top five now Um, but at least he you put somewhat of a statement out but I I don't buy I don't buy the lie of I just thought it was an all NBA team if you thought that you should not be getting a vote and it probably does hurt your coaching um, chances if you can't figure out how to vote on MVP ballot that you've been doing for what how long has he been in the media pro Fifteen years now. Um, oops, just forgot. Forgot that it, that's not how you vote. Well, oops, forgot to draw up a game-winning play. That's what things are probably looking at right now. But uh, I won't. I won't let you get too much into that one. One thing I got, pro NBA, needs to do something about flopping. They got to do something about flopping. Uh, it's and I, I put a post out after the Warriors series. Everyone thought it was a pro Warriors uh, yeah. tweet. It wasn't. Um, it was they got to do something about it, man, from both. Every team does it. It's just a matter of how hard, how many players they have that have looked at. Lakers they have a fair few guys that do, do tend to flop. That's the honest truth. Warriors have some, Philly has some, but everyone's got floppers, right? Guys that can accentuate contact. her. But the blatant ones that some of the, some of the players have been getting these playoffs, not just in the Warriors series have been, have been bad. MB does it. Um, Schroeder does it. You know, I, I just, I don't think it's good for basketball, And I want to see him go the FIBA route. I think the FIBA route is great. The FIBA route gives you one warning. So anyone on your team flops, bro, you're going to tell your coach, your team has an official warning for flopping. This is the harsh part. Whoever flops next gets the technical foul, right? That's the harsh part. And I've seen players that have had a technical foul flop in the fourth and get a second tech and get ejected. Mm -hmm. And that's how harsh they have to go. It needs to cost teams games. They can't. You can't continue to, to reward this behavior. Um, and, and it's just so bad, especially offensive players just falling over, you know, trying to dribble into chests and just falling backwards and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, slightest move on a screen, guys are falling over, or slightest, the screener gets touched, they fall over. It's not good viewing, pro. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just, you got to figure something out. And the problem is that you're going to have to stop the game constantly to figure out if it's a flop or not, if you just sort of missed it because it's not blatant. So I just...
0: I wouldn't allow Replay Pro. I wouldn't allow Replay because in Replay, when you slow things up, you can have them fit whatever narrative you want, as we know, with replays. It's like sometimes when they review when they review fouls, you can find a foul in (laughs) slow-mo. You know what I mean? Like
1: that's what kills me. These refs can't call a fucking Mm. proper travel. How are they going to fuck? Especially how good players are at flopping at either way, offense and defense. So it's like, it's going to slow the game down, but I agree with you. I I don't know. I don't know what you do to do it, but
0: where's the flop fine gone? Where where is that gone? Yeah, that's gone. That's out the window. Is that, but it hasn't officially gone, right? It's still a rule. But has it gone? Yeah, come on. <laughs> like seriously. Remember the first year they introduced it, there was like, there was like forty players the first month of the season that were just there was like NBA release player X fine for flopping. What? NBA release. Where's that What's gone? What's
1: more believable that they're actually going to have a flopping fine, or that OJ is really going to try to find the killer, a real killer of his wife? Give me a fucking <laughs> break, dude. <boys>. Come on. <laughs>
0: They gotta do something though. Yeah. It, it was—I don't know—I just felt like it was too much in these playoffs, and you hate to see games and plays dictated by guys just taking. You know, they should be in the diving championships and jumping off platforms at times. No. You know, like, look—if you're—if you're taking a charge against a big guy and you accentuate it, I get it. That's fine. I'm not too stressed about that. It's the—it's the dribbling and someone's got an armbar and I flail and I fall over and then you—you you literally fall on the ground. So now the ref's like shit. It's either a turnover or I got to call a foul, and then it puts them in a tough spot. They just need to, even if they're sometimes wrong, that it's not a flop. It'll give the warning, and guys will stop doing it. But uh, like yeah. I said, with Adam Silver and the way the way the league's refereed, I don't think it's going to happen. But I think it needs to because it's it's becoming a blight on on the TV viewer. Pro, uh, final one, Phil Jackson, great quotable, pro, great quotable from him. <laughs> he got in trouble a couple of weeks ago for saying that he didn't he didn't buy into the whole BLM bubble. Time in the NBA where they had slogans on the court, and he thought it hurt hurt the you know hurt fans because it split fans in half and blah blah blah. But since then, he said, um, "I don't think people got the humor." The names on the back of the players that were in the bubble, uh, because if you apply them to defending and challenging going to the hoop on their names, it had a funny aspect to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Visually, this was kind of humorous. So what he meant by that was a lot of players had freedom. Um, freedom in different languages, all those kind of of words. And he's equated that to the way they play defense in 2020. What was that? 21. Um, I just thought it was interesting, funny quotable by Phil Jackson, pro.
1: Yeah. The first time I didn't, you know, I I thought he had a point with the, you know, social justice thing. It's the second thing. Like, there's a line that you know you don't, you probably shouldn't cross for If you think you're right or wrong, obviously, social justice thing is a very sensitive topic to a lot of people, especially in the NBA. To me, eh, I don't know. I I think that's just Phil, just you know, wanting a fucking, you know, want a second act on that whole thing, and just sort of, you know, it's punching his punching his sort of like feelings of it through with a little bit of a joke and humor. I don't know. I, I was sort of like, eh, to that whole thing. The first time, I think he was right with the whole you know, the BLM thing and, and the bubble and all that stuff. But the the names at the back of the jersey, come on, like, you know. I don't know. I, I I thought that was sort of like a scripted bullshit thing. He just wanted to fucking bust some people's balls by throwing that out there. So I didn't really have a.
0: The second one was was a joke. The second one was more of a yeah. joke though. But the first one was was dead I know serious. No doubt about it.
1: And I and I and I was all, all I was all for the first thing that he said. Second thing I didn't really. I mean, this is the first I'm really hearing about it. I think I, I maybe I heard maybe I read something about it, but yeah, yeah. You know, the guys the guys a regular Joe Rogan. Let me tell you. <laughs>
0: Interesting nonetheless. All right. Dabble, the social betting experience. We can jump to the banner channels, connect with the Dabble community, and ride a bet together. Follow, copy bets, and jump into banner. Download the app, have a dabble. Go to the app store, dabble, all one word. Dabble socially and gamble responsibly. Has to be responsible. We always say that. We're a very responsible podcast. Everything needs to be done responsibly. All right, Australia NBL, World Cup squads. I'm going to endeavor to pick my squad pro and – Note my cuts. This is a very, very tough, tough thing to do. But my starting lineup for the World Cup, um, I've got Josh Giddy at the one, Paddy Mills at the two, interchangeable, obviously. Uh, but my point would be Giddy for offensive purposes. I'd have Ingalls at the three, Thiebel at the four, and Landale at the five. So similar to what they had last time around, albeit Giddy's now involved. Bench Green makes it for me. Um, Xavier Cooks makes it in the forward spot. Nick Kay makes it in a forward center spot. Reith makes it as a backup backup center, so 11-12. I've got Jack White as a leading collusion. I think his work and his three-point shot has gotten much better and they're going to need that from a 4-5. This is where it gets interesting. I've got it down to Dante Delhi for another guard spot on, on the bench. I've got to give it to Dante with his form in Europe. And then I've got... Uh, Chris Golding and Dyson Daniels. That's the big coin flip for me, bro. So I think that's going to sway with what the coaches feel like they want. Do they want more shooting, which they're probably going to need in Feverball. ball? Or do they want uh, much more lockdown defense in Dyson Daniels? I think Dyson might be a little bit unlucky. I think Josh Green is a very good defender, but he has that three ball that's gotten better. That gets him in over those two. Um, but I think the CG43 and Dyson Daniels is going to be the coin flip and obviously Dante Exum and Dele. Um, So that would leave the cuts if if let's say uh, the four cuts that I think are certain, um, Keanu Pinder, Will McDowell-White, Thonmaker and Sam Froling, I think those four will be cut. I think it leaves Dyson Daniels and Della Vadova out. I'm going to say they're going to go with uh, Chris Golding just because they need the shooting. They need the shooting off the bench, pro. Um, but yeah, so my squad then will be Giddy Mills, Ingles, Stiebel, Landale, Green, Exum, CG 43, Xavier Cooks, Nick K, Reese, and, uh, Jack White would be the, the last man on the roster pro. So that goes with that. Uh, I don't know if you saw the the Dante Exum scuffle series. Real Madrid came back from a zero two deficit to beat Partizans, the first team ever in EuroLeague history to come back from a zero two deficit. So the brawl worked in the favor of the Brawlers pro. Well, Bogues,
1: I'm just happy that you you have an exim on the team. Considering last week you had him out till 2040 with that injury, so he wasn't <laughs> going to be eligible for that. to the
0: pump fake of the yeah, year, yeah, the
1: 2040 fucking Olympics. Oh, come on, dude,
0: he left the he left the he left the arena on the crutches. Hell of a pump fake, hey, hell hell good showmanship.
1: If we're gonna have a flop, <laughs> a flop fine. You're not going to be the guy in charge of fucking deciding if it's a flop or not, because they can give you the yoki doke like he did. So uh, you're out of that. Maybe.
0: Maybe so. That's why I don't ref. That's why I just <laughs> better off on the sidelines telling them how to ref than, than actually ref yeah, yeah. It's a hard job though. All right. Useful or useless. Under the new CBA agreement pro, these players would have not made all NBA teams this season. Jimmy Butler, Giannis, Dame, Steph, and LeBron. Useful or useless. That's, that's due to the 65-game minimum, Pro, of course. They, they, those guys did not hit 65. So if that happens next season, they do not make the All-NBA. It's,
1: it's useful. And is there any rumor to the fact that that now job, because you know he didn't make the All-Defensive team, didn't make All-NBA, or didn't win MVP, yet he got caught for the second time with a gun, is he eligible for a Supermax now?
0: I said he was in the all shooting team I think
1: <laughs> I got it uh, that is useful I think that 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 is useful they shouldn't and I don't think any of those guys should have been eligible, you know, you know for the amount of games they missed. I, I'm not a big fan of missing all these games but
0: I, a few missed one I think Jimmy missed by one yeah. but yeah it is sixty five so they won't make it I think it's useful of a rule and useful stat to put out there just to show that in the future, these guys won't be all NBA. So I guess we're going to see a lot of players next season, pro, in the 65 to 68 range for games played. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a hunch I have, mm-hmm. um, little birdie told me. All right. Every NBA head coach with the best record the last six seasons is no longer with that team. Useful or useless?
1: Useful. And I'll give some future NBA coaches some advice. Don't win a championship. Tell the, tell the <laughs> Don't win
0: too soon. Yeah. yeah.
1: Don't win a championship. If they're going to give you a coach of the year tell them to fuck off, you're not winning it. And losing the first round every year and have a GM that every 3 years they're going to rebuild and just trade all your assets away for draft picks. That's how you keep your job in the NBA as a head coach. It's
0: crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I made that same joke today to someone. It's like it's you're better off being like you're honestly better off being 6 to 12.
1: Yes. don't want to you don't want to not make the playoffs. You don't want to win the playoffs because obviously that's not really good for people. You want to like win a round or lose in the first round. Maybe win a round. Just win the first round and that's it. You'll keep your job for a while, but don't go lottery all the time because you probably won't keep it there or don't win it, but like win a round. That's my advice.
0: It's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy. I mean – yeah, I mean, it, it just it just shows how impatient the league has become and pro sports have become. It's like the, the, the there's so much delusion. We talk about it with players, with GMs and owners too. Yeah. Like it's like you've had the squad together for eighteen months. You want to blow it up already. You want a new coach already. You want, like like sometimes you know historically there's been some teams. The Warriors are a prime example. It took four you know three four five years of being together and and making small tweaks and then bang. I'm surprised more people don't follow that blueprint, albeit not not including the KD era because they obviously bought a star. But they put themselves in a position to get that star, right? Yes. No one's that patient anymore. And Everyone it, wants to go. You know, if we're not in the finals, it's a bust. It's like, well, you, you can't all win. You can't. You can't all win every season. And
1: also, if you're if you see your owner sitting with Isaiah Thomas, just fucking resign because you got no fucking <laughs> chance of keeping your job.
0: There, Scenic Suns. There's <laughs> no
1: chance that that fucking Isaiah Thomas wasn't look Monty Williams. Two epic blowouts in and you know in the last two. So yeah, he should have been under scrutiny for sure. But you don't think since he took over, Isaiah Thomas has been in that guy's ear, you're telling me that Isaiah Thomas wasn't killing him from fucking day one just to get in with that owner to I don't know if he wants to be the coach, but he definitely wants power there. And you're telling me that he had nothing to do, that owner just auto automatically just said Monty Williams is out because he got blown out a couple of games. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. But I just uh, it seems a little funny to me.
0: Mm. Yeah. Not good Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I don't know how Isaiah ended up in Phoenix in the first place. <laughs> but anyway. All right. Game seven losses, pro. Doc Rivers has 10. The Bucks, Celtics, and Hawks have nine. There's only one team that has more losses in game sevens than Doc Rivers. And that is who?
1: I think I read this today. Uh,
0: it's the 76ers, sixers, oh, okay,
1: Sixers, got it. Yeah,
0: but Doc, Doc has more game seven <laughs> losses than numerous teams. <laughs> useful, useless.
1: I say it's useful, of course. I mean that—that's a lot of game sevens to lose. It's a lot of game sevens to lose. It's—it's uh, it's unfortunate, especially we had a lot of good teams. But yeah, it's pretty useful.
0: Yeah, useful, tough, tough for Doc. I mean, he got most most of his wins too are with that that Celtic team with KG and that. So he does tend to struggle um just over the course of playoff series and many times has been up, you know, you know, uh two one, three one, and and just doesn't manage to get it done. All right, the last MVP to win a championship in the same season is who, bro? Mm, probably Steph it is Steph 2015 so it doesn't happen often it does not happen often there is a chance it happens this season four teams left Jokic MVP. no sorry it it can't happen this season
1: Um, Yeah,
0: back to back though back to back (laughs) but yep there goes another one Embiid is out in straight sets to the Boston Celtics and uh, another MVP cannot win the championship well actually
1: Mark Jackson voted for Peyton Pritchard over fucking Jokic so he's got a chance in his his MVP (laughs) vote
0: <laughs> Fucking idiot! Yeah, you voted, voted for Reggie Miller. Yeah. Um, all right, Q and A's real quick. This is from Instagram, Harrison McGinney. This is for me, Pro. Okay. Uh, who was the hardest big man you played in the in the NBA slash FIBA? For me, it was Yao Ming um, in his prime before the injuries. Was an absolute low down there on the block. Um, very nice touch. Like guard touch, I've, I've told this story numerous times, but a few times he got hot when um, we played Houston when I was with the Bucs and there was nothing I could do. He was just shooting straight over me. Other one I had problems with early in my career was Dwight Howard. Prime Dwight Howard in Orlando for me was was tough, very, very strong, very athletic. Um, Stan ran some very good stuff for him. So those two guys gave me fits. Dwight, I kind of got the talent of my career and I flipped it. I, I played really well against him. So I figured him out, got a bit more strength, but yeah, was one I just couldn't couldn't figure out. Um, no matter what you did, you'd push him off the block, you'd front him, you'd be physical, and he would just turn. He sh- he's seven six and he's shooting above his head. He's shooting at an eight eight foot range. And like, what's my contest gonna do, bro? Like tickle his chin, you know? So he was uh he was a tough one. Um, Facebook, David Grill. Is this hate for Julius Randle in New York City really warranted? Pro, I'll let you go on this one. Uh
1: I think so. I think so because when you're paid that much money, your effort level and your give a fuck level has to be. Look, you're not, as we saw in the playoffs, some great players really didn't produce in their last games and their last series to get eliminated, right? But like their effort was all there, all in. And I, I felt as though that his effort really wasn't there on both ends of the floor. And I think that he checks out for long periods of time. And look, you're in New York. New York is the toughest place in the NBA to play um, for fan base and, and going nuts when you don't produce, and especially when they lose, even though they overachieved at the end of the year. So I think that when you're making that much money in New York, that you have to bring it every night, and they will—they will get behind you. They'll get on you, but your effort level has to be there. If they sniff out that you're not giving a thousand percent, even if you—I mean, if you have an off night, they're going to kill you anyway. But like, if they, if they sniff out that you're not bringing it hundred percent, it's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree to an extent. I—I I, I think it just comes out of body language um, for him. A lot of it is just—even if you're having a shitty game, don't show it. You know, I think he gets very emotional sometimes. He's harder on himself probably than most people are. But when you don't give full effort because you're not making your shots, which clearly sometimes happens on the defensive end for Julius, I think, you know, people get frustrated. And I think that, you know, there's always going to be a scapegoat. Like like we just said, even if you lose in the finals, there's going to be someone that's going after you because you lost in the finals, right? And I think he needs to clean that up. And I think a lot of it's between you. years. So just, just turning back to the, the body language, stay engaged. If you have a game that, you know, you, you're four for 16 from the field, go grab me 20 rebounds. You know, go lock up their best power forward. I think that's what Julius can, can. he has the athletic skill set to do that. It's just a matter of, does he want to do it? So I think that the hate somewhat is warranted. The extremes of Stephen A. Smith calling for his head, probably not those extremes, but I, I think they will be looking to move Julius and probably try to partner uh, Brunson if they can with somebody else. All right, last one, Twitter. You played during the height of the Tim Donaghy scandal. Were these, were there games that you played where he officiated, and did you have any suspicious moments or calls in a game from him? What was your reaction at the time when that report came out? Uh, I can't specifically remember any circumstances. Look, to be honest with you, we weren't we weren't playing in a lot of high, you know, worth games with Milwaukee. Um, but you do you do try to circle back, and and I can't. There were so many games, you know, to look back and try to remember one specific moment. But I'm sure you know if he was part of part of you know, given tips and whatnot, if, if you'd say human nature says he's influenced certain calls, um, do they directly affect me or a teammate? Probably. But it is what it is. And, and and you'd be silly to think that there's not one official somewhere in the world, in Euroleague, in the NBA, in college, that's not giving information to sports bettors. You know, some of these officials pro, you know, in college, aren't, they're not making top dollar, like a couple of hundred grand maybe if that, if they're full-time referees. Bookie comes and says, you know, here's another 500K for the year. I need a tip a week. You know, mm-hmm. someone's doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, someone could have an alcohol problem. Someone could have a gambling problem already. Someone could – their house is about to be foreclosed because of a bad investment. I don't know. But there's a circumstance where human nature comes into play. There's there's, there's more referees in sports out there that are on the take. Um, it's just – you'd be silly to say, oh, no, every sport's clean. It's not. Um, maybe we find out about it. Maybe we don't. But I don't think I was directly – Affected by it um but you know you look at that that Spurs Sun series is the big one that sticks out um you know there were some dubious calls there and it's just an unfortunate unfortunate stain on on the NBA's history pro have you been involved in any really you came in just after that right
1: yeah I was I was working for Tim Grover at the time and I remember I was talking to Adrian Wojanowski and he goes hey did you hear anything about this I don't even know who Tim Donahy was because I didn't know the referees like that and they're like dude I have no fucking idea and uh you know, he was that he was. he used telling me, I'm like, this can't be true, right? And he goes, Nah, man, I'm hearing this, and you know, I, I don't know who broke the story or whatever, but it was a wild deal, and I, I just never thought, because I just thought there was so many moving parts to the whole thing that it would be really hard for somebody to really do it alone. But uh, it was an interesting deal. No, I never, I never really besides reading about it when it broke yeah i was in chicago i was out of the nba by then uh, before i joined the cell uh the mavericks a few years later but yeah I, I had no idea that was crazy
0: yeah it was a crazy time and i've watched a documentary on netflix which was more pro kind of donahy um which wasn't a bad one to watch to get both sides of perspective but uh I doubt we'll ever get the full truth on that one. You got anything for us? Fact or fake news this week? Nah, Bogues, we got to get out of
1: here. They're, they're going to start fining us for being so late. So, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'll save it. I'll save it for, save it for next right. week. All right.
0: Save it for next time. All right. Thanks, everyone. Rogue Bogues, Hoop Consultants. We'll see you next week.
1: Where, guys. Let's get rogue.